I'm Victoria, and this podcast is all about running, marathon training, and run coaching. It is packed with useful tips to help you grow as a runner. I am a 13-time Boston qualifier and mom of two who started running as an adult. I learned a lot on my journey, and in 2014, I launched an online run coaching business to help other runners. Now, we employ several run coaches and are one of the largest online run coaching companies. We teach you the secrets to reaching your potential in the sport of running. We give real talk discussing personal stories of injuries, setbacks, and PRs. Think of this as a conversation with serial marathoners who share the lessons that we learned along the way. This is the Run for PRs podcast. Back-to-back long runs, what they are, and when you should try to incorporate them. We often talk about the benefits of long runs, especially as runners when we're training for half marathons or marathons. We know we have to do one of those weekly long runs to help prepare for the race. We have discussed in previous podcast episodes some of the long run guidelines that we like to use with our athletes and that have been proven by Jack Daniels and other exercise physiologists. And so the idea for some of these guidelines are capping your long run at no more than three hours. So going over that three hour threshold, there's just been a lot of studies that show that the risk for injury really increases and there isn't a lot of additional benefits that you're going to get. And so our jobs as coaches is to help weigh that risk versus reward. And so we like to cap at three hours. Um, And that's also going to be a cap of 33% of your weekly mileage. So the idea is that in one run, you don't really want to go over one third of what your total weekly mileage is. Um, And so some athletes are really doing the math here and they're trying to calculate out what pace or how many weekly miles they would need to do in order to get to that elusive 20 mile long run. And that's like a big part of the issue, right? So for some people who are maybe running 12 minute pace, um, if you're doing that for three hours, you're really only going to make it to about 15 miles. Um, and it would take you four hours to, to get 20 miles. And then for someone who's maybe doing, you know, 30 miles a week, um, and hoping to run a 20 mile long run, well, you're looking at, you know, over 60% of your, your, weekly mileage being in that 20 mile long run. And so there's just some risks involved in doing that. Um, And we just kind of want to talk about other ways that you can build endurance besides just staring down the barrel at that one long run um, where it's at that elusive like 20 mile or or whatever it may be. Um, And so the Hansen's method is one of the methods that was a first kind of like a big pioneer um it's they're kind of a big name in the sport of running um talk a little bit about the race team that they have for the elite or sub-elite um professional athletes what is hansen's yeah hansen's brooks they were sponsored by brooks back in the you know early 2000s and i know i know a friend personally that ran for them for a couple years and Um, they're just like a kind of like a local elite where if you graduate college and you're fast enough to run um, you know let's say they have time qualifications so for men let's say if you're sub like maybe around 220 224 or something like that in the marathon Uh, for women if you're close to OTQ so basically um, you could 
you could get paid a stipend and train as a, as a team and, and be, you know, be coached and all that. And a lot of times you work part-time um, in a running store. And so I guess the, the Hanson's brothers, we met one of them on the flight. Uh, I forget <laughs> which race it was, but um, we Boston. just kind of overheard them talking for quite a while. And uh, I guess they, they kind of started this and they must've got some sponsors. They were able to help kind of fund um, the program and, um, you know, they must have had this philosophy for beginner marathons, which I think caps a lot of runners at about 16 miles uh, for their Yeah, so with that, it's, it's actually not for beginners. And so that's what's really interesting about this Hanson's method. Um, you just talked a lot about this elite race team. So they have this background coaching elites. And so elites, um, you know, they can crank out 20 miles in, in like two, a little over two hours. So they don't really, this rule doesn't usually come to an issue when it comes to like elite marathoners right where this is more a problem is more of like the competitive recreational that's where it really starts to come into effect um and so hansen's as far as i know the hansen's method it's a lot of people who were stuck at that you know 10 minutes slower than a bq time and they really wanted to get that first boston qualifier um a lot of people will use like the hal higdon's online plans or they just really get caught up and i need to do a bunch of 20 milers mm -hmm. um and i so i think hansen's like knew this about athletes because they coach also on the side they do like online coaching as well so they were seeing time and time again people were you know doing all these 20 milers and they're like okay Let's do a different approach here. Um, so this Hansen's method long run situation is they're capping it at 16 miles and they're doing this strategically because they want athletes to focus more on the entire week instead of like that emphasis on the 20 miler. So whereas a normal athlete maybe who th thinks they're training correctly using like a Hal Higdon's plan, it might have you do like five, a five miler, a seven miler, five miler, five miler, and then this 20 miler on the weekend. And so you just really don't have that strong base to do the 20 miler, right? You're just really hyper-focusing on that long run and spending the majority of the week just recovering from that long run, doing these shorter runs. And so what Hanson's does, they kind of flipped it on their head where almost every day you're going at least 60 minutes, right? So there's like a 10 mile mid long run. There's a lot of eight mile easy runs, that sort of thing. Um, and then on the weekend you, you have that uh, two to two and a half hour run. And it's usually in that 14 to 16 mile range. Um, and obviously they do some stuff with like marathon pace work, which is also a little bit different. But the idea is that, you know, there's a lot of people who have found huge success using this Hanson method. Um, it's one of the ones that gets people to do a breakthrough and BQ for the first time. And so just taking that into consideration is you have people who have been doing these 20 mile long runs for majority of their running career and then they switch, they do this Hanson's method, they're not running any longer than 16 miles for their long run and then they're having these breakthrough races. And so it's really interesting, we really want to dive into deep as to like, why is this a thing? Why does this happen? Um, and that's really where this back-to-back -back long run thing can come into play. Um, and I thought, just thought it was an interesting thing to bring up. Obviously Hanson's, they don't do a traditional, what you would call like back-to-back -back long runs where you're doing like, you know, 10 and then 16. Sometimes they have that in the plan, but the idea is that they just have higher mileage and less emphasis on that weekend long run. Um, and so back-to-back -back long runs is, is usually a new concept to people. When they hear it, they're a little confused. Jason, what is your experience with back-to-back -back long runs? When do you incorporate it with athletes? And how do you start things off? Yeah, so it's important here as we're talking about this, you know, we, we keep in mind that you know, every athlete's had kind of has their own journey and 
experience when it comes to long runs and how many marathons they've done and training cycles and all of that. And so it might look different for, for each individual athlete. Um, but for a new, a new runner that's kind of exploring the marathon distance for the first time, you know, this is where I'll kind of do a deep dive and figure out what have been their longest runs and we'll make sure that we progress them slowly. We're not gonna jump from a 13 to like a 16 to an 18, you know? So we're gonna slowly build up. We're gonna see how they handle 14, 15. Um, and depending on pace too. So it really depends on like how long you're out there. You know, if I have someone that's running, you know, 8.30 to nine minute pace versus a 12 minute per mile, it's gonna look a lot different how I craft the plan, right? So um, you gotta think time on your feet is really important. And we don't wanna just add like, you know, 30 to 45 minutes in a long run um, just because that, that can be a lot. And so the goal really is to see how athletes are adapting to this new increase in, in mileage. And then, um, you know, if, if they can recover in just a couple of days, that's, that's a good sign, right? So we don't want to have any setbacks. That's kind of the first, the first goal when we think about increasing mileage. Um, as far as like, when would I incorporate back to back long runs? It would be for that athlete that is running, um, you know, maybe 11 to 12 minute per miles a minute per miles and they're running their first marathon or you know they're fairly new to the distance so um, instead of doing a 18 or 19 miler we might do like a 10 and a 12 or something like that or a, a 8 and a 13 so there that kind of gives them a little bit of um you know better chance to recover rather than if you just ramp it up and do like an 18 mm -hmm. it could you could spend four or five six days you might even shoot your training for the next week because you're trying to recover from that right and so it's really important to you know, not overload ourselves in terms of um, mileage and, and volume. Yeah, that's a really huge thing is when you said time on your feet. And I know a lot of people make that transition to the marathon after they've done a few half marathon races, right? So you do a few halves and then you're like, okay, it's time to move to the full marathon. And this is where time-based training starts to become more important. So let's say you've done a few half marathons. You've never really gone over 13 miles. Um, in training runs, usually for a half marathon training, it's probably gonna cap you around 10. So mm -hmm. let's keep in mind here, if you're like a 155 half marathon finisher, you're running in like the eight, probably like 845-ish range per mile in a race for a half. Um, that means you've never really ran two hours before easy. You've only ever raced a half. And so if your assumption is, all right, I'm going to move into half marathon training and I'm just going to add two miles onto my longest run. Um, but you're slowing down the pace and you, and you're going slower. You really need to keep in mind that if you're just going to jump up in distance to 15 miles, it's like your first training run. Um, but you're going to go at an easy pace if you're going at about 10, 10, 20, 10, 30 pace, which is probably what you'd be doing if you're a 155 half marathoner, you're gonna be out there for over two and a half hours. And so you have to think of that jump in time mm -hmm. and not just in distance. That's 35 minutes longer than the longest you've ever been on your feet if you've never ran over a 13.1 in a half marathon race. So that's something you really wanna take into consideration is looking at all of your long runs that you've done in training and really asking yourself like, have I ever even gone over two hours? And instead of looking at like the distance, because I think that is a safe assumption, most people would be like, okay, I've done 13.1, I can do 15. Well, we don't want to like jump the gun. It would be better to have a solid base, have you do a few long runs at right around that two hour mark, and then slowly build. Maybe it's two hour, 10 minutes, two hour, 15 minutes. We don't need to like go all the way to that extreme because that's when running based off of distance can sometimes be 
um, hazardous, I guess, or a little bit more risky because you don't really realize what you're doing, right? So on paper, it sounds fine, but then when you really break it down and you see like, oh wow, I'd actually be out there for 35 to 40 more minutes longer than I ever have, um, that's, that's a huge amount of time when we're talking about a long run. Yeah, and you know, just to add to the distance thing, I, I've looked at a lot of like triathlon plans and they always go by minutes. It's mm-hmm. never distance. So your bike rides are based on minutes, your runs are based on minutes. Um, because you know, you gotta think about the total time that you're gonna be doing the activity, especially if you're doing like a brick back to back. You don't wanna have, you know, two people if they're doing like a thirty mile ride and a five mile run, that could be <laughs> that could look a lot different depending on the pace, right? So it's it's gonna be time based. And I think with increasing your, your long run distance, um, you know, we also want to be at some point increasing, hopefully, the weekly volume as well. And so that's why you got to be very careful with not doing too much at, at once. You can't just like, you know, add in like a fourth day of running and then also bump up your long run by two or three miles, you know. And so it's really kind of like you have to weigh, you have to weigh the, um, the pros and the cons, right? So the risk versus the reward. It's always going to be um, important that you can still get the athlete a fair amount of, um, you know, easy mileage, maybe some some speed work in some sense, whether that's threshold or marathon pace work. And so if you're taking way too long to recover from these long sessions, you're jeopardizing the training for that week. Right. And that's the thing is that recovery portion. And that's why that, um, those two rules of the three hour rule, and then the no more than, um, one third of your weekly mileage should be in the long run. And this is where athletes tend to get really hung up, right? So if you're training for the marathon, there's this like elusive idea that, you need to do a 20 mile long run or whatever, or that's just kind of standard. Like if you Google um, like training plans, right? That's what you're finding on the internet. I mean, these free plans, that's typically what they're including. And I think um, we really need to look back at like the roots of the sport and really like systemically, like where is that number coming from? And like, why is that constantly popping up? Because there is this idea out there um, that that's what you have to do. But really like at a scientific level, if you're looking at risk versus reward as like, um, as Jack Daniels, who is like a PhD in exercise physiology, one of the leading researchers of running science in the sport of running, um, he says cap it at two and a half hours. And so we're really wondering, okay, dude, like if that's real, why, why are all of these training plans saying 20 miles? And so really, if you're looking historically, um, this maybe is controversial, but it's the history of our sport, right? Back when marathoning became a thing, um, I think most of us know that like for a long time, women were not allowed to compete. And so you have basically a bunch of men competitors. And then at that point, you're really dialing down who was participating in these sports, right? It was typically men that were pretty fast. Like you weren't going to sign up for a marathon um, unless you were, you know, going to finish in a certain amount of time. And I know that's like really not the case anymore, but that's what was the case back when marathons really started to gain popularity, unfortunately. So it was just a bunch of men competitors and typically they were pretty fast. Um, You didn't see a lot of people finishing marathons in like the five hour range. Um, And now it's it's amazing because there's so many more people that participate and there's just like such a more diverse body. Um, And that's a great thing and that's really good. But what we really need to do is look at that history and see where did this 20 mile long run come from? So if you're looking at traditionally those people who participated in the first couple of um, decades of marathoning, what sort of paces were they training at, right? What were they doing for training? And so if you're a three hour marathoner or just under three hours, which was pretty common back then, um, you're probably going at an easy pace, eight minute pace, you know, for your easy long runs. And at that point, if you're going eight minute pace, 
and you're out there for about two hours and 40 minutes, that's where you're hitting that 20 mile mark. And so for someone who is running eight minute miles, it might make sense to incorporate those 20 mile long runs. And so let's say these guys back then were just jotting down what they did, right? They're saying, oh yeah, I run for two and a half hours to three hours for my longest long run. And then it just over time became like, yeah, let's do 20. Um, and it just got passed along. It's like this right. knowledge of the sport gets passed along and it's interpreted then by people who have totally different backgrounds, who are running totally different paces, and it's just this tradition that maybe we need to shift and really rethink, is this necessary? Is this a good way to train? And I think that's when that time-based training really becomes better. Because if we're really looking at what was that 20 miler way back in like the 1950s when this dude wrote it down, right? Maybe it was just a two and a half hour long run, right? Like maybe right. that's all it really was and maybe that's the key and that's the the secret sauce right there. Um, so yeah, what do you, do you have anything to add to like the history of the sport and maybe like how things are a little outdated in terms of like passing on that 20 miler long run tradition? Yeah, well, and keep in mind, too, back then there wasn't Garmin or GPS, nope. so a lot of that was probably just estimated, like, as far yep. as the distance that they were running. Um, but, you know, where does all of this advice typically come from? It comes <laughs> from experienced people who maybe have years and years of experience and knowledge, and that's kind of what, like, got them to a certain level. And so they, yep. when they write this this template, this sort of generic template, you know, ideally, yeah, that'd be great, but also we're all coming from, like, different starting points, and you can't just, like, follow yep. a template to get you to the finish line. Like, we have to examine what have you been doing, especially in your recent history. Um, it's one thing if you're a runner back in the day and you kind of pick it up later on, but, like, it's, it's um, you know, let's just say you and your, your friend that you kind of sometimes run with, maybe you both have the same goal of breaking two hours and a half, but, um, you know, you look at the previous, like, six months of training, and maybe your friend was a lot more consistent than you were, but you were a little bit more talented, um, it doesn't necessarily mean your training should match up, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're, because you can't handle probably like the volume because you're going to increase your risk for injury. So you need to kind of like piece together your puzzle. It's just going to look a bit different than the other training plan. And so that's something we got to remember is that every plan is really like individualized. Um, and so the long run progression like should be really well thought out. Um, and it should probably not always go according to like plan when we like sit you know 16 weeks out from our goal race and we map it out it's probably rare that we're going to actually stick to that right because a lot of things happen mm -hmm. during the course of training where we maybe have to you know make adjustments because we're sick or um, work gets busy or whatever the reason right or we're not fully recovered and so um, and then you have to figure out like how do i adjust from that point too right like is it smart to just push a long run one week out or should i like maybe do a cutback and then like slowly build again and so there's all these like ways to fine-tune the plan Right. Yeah. And I think it's really important to always ask the question, like, why am I doing this run? Right. So if you get a training plan off the internet and maybe you're able to like ask the person, like, why, why is it, why do I have to do this run? Or like, why is it this long? Um, cause you're hearing us say you don't need to do 20 and then you see like this plan. If the person can't give you a reason or if their reason is like, Oh, well, you have to, to do your marathon or well, you know, mentally, it'll, it'll be good for you. You have to like toughen up or whatever. Um, I just think that sort of logic is like really, it's prevalent in the running culture, unfortunately. Um, you get a lot of that, you know, over the winter, it's like, we live in Minneapolis and there's days where it's literally dangerous to run outside, like on the ice. And yeah, you can have proper footwear, but at the same time, I'm not gonna like advise people to go <laughs> run on the ice. Um, it's just not, not a safe option um, some days. And so you get some comments on people on social media who are like, 
oh, you know, you get tougher if you run in those conditions. And it's like, yes, to an extent, but then there becomes a place where you're risking your health. And so that's really what we're keeping in mind here is, of course, yes, you probably could run 20. Like phys- physically, your body is capable of crazy stuff. But what we're trying to do is what is the safest approach where you're not going to get injured and where you're actually going to utilize the science that's available to us? Like what is the best physiologically for me? And we don't necessarily need to like crush it or like push our body to the limit and like just go all the way to 20 just because it'll help like you know with mental training quote unquote because there are other ways that you can improve um mentally as a runner and we've had a previous podcast on that there's so many ways that you can work on mental toughness without jeopardizing your health and so i i get a lot of that from athletes who have never done less than 20 in preparing for a marathon they'll be like well mentally i need to do it and it's like well, no, there's other ways that we can improve on that mental game piece without jeopardizing our health. So again, it's always that risk versus reward. So some people are willing to risk it. And you know, that's fine, I guess, like, as long as you're aware of what the potential risks are, what the rewards would be, um, that sort of situation. Yeah, and too, when we think about like our, our plan, you know, our week to week plan, um, depending on the mileage that you're running, a lot of times a good sign that you're ready to maybe up the mileage a bit or up the long run distance is how are you recovering from like those workouts and those midweek long run sessions. So if you're able to get those in and recover quickly, then that's a good that's a good thing, right? So, um, but if you're someone who's, you know, you're coming off your long run, maybe it was like 13 miles, it's kind of longest you ran in a while and you're not able to really execute like anything over three, four miles that next week, then that's probably a sign that we should not increase the long run, right? And I know a lot of times people are tempted to do that. They just like barely get through the week and then they go and they just have to like increase their next long run again. And it's like, why? Like you could benefit more from doing like eight that weekend, recovering from that, feeling pretty good, maybe getting, you know, four mile runs in during the week um, and come back the next week and then do like a 12 or, you know, and there's just so many ways you can do it. And I think Mm -hmm. people get so wrapped up in like that long long run run total. And they think that that is like the most important um, you know, stat in terms of their marathon training. Right. Well, and I, I can kind of understand it from like someone who works, you know, a traditional nine to five weekdays sort of job, right? It's like who wants to wake up early or run, you know, before or after work, right? That sort of situation. So it's like, I can see how it's an easy trap to fall into because doing that long run, it is really like motivating and it can really give you some like stats where you're like really proud of yourself, I guess, you know, you go out there for a couple hours and you, you run, at the, a lot of the times these people are also running a little faster than they should for their long run because they're like whatever mm-hmm. um just not training appropriately but it's an easy trap to fall into and i guess if if you enjoy training that way and like you're totally fine with like your race results how your body's holding up and stuff like that then that's fine but really what we're here to do is just like educate of like if you're really wanting to like reach that next level and you're doing some of these things Um, this could potentially be one area that is holding you back. And so I I do realize that it could mean like you have to put in more miles during the week. And for some people, it's just like not, um, not worth it to them, right? Like, so we really have to start asking the questions Mm -hmm. of like, what are my goals as an athlete? 
and am I willing to like do the work that's going to get me there? Um, so if you're just spinning your wheels and you're just kind of stuck, it, the thing could be we need to change kind of how you're doing something because mm -hmm. obviously what you've been doing isn't necessarily working. You're at this plateau. And that's where a lot of people will come and that's maybe like when they hire a run coach or when they're like, I really want to get serious about qualifying for Boston. That's really where you need to make a change of maybe doing a little bit more mileage during the week, maybe a committee in one day per week where you're doing like a medium long run type workout. Um, these sort of things can really help you view the week as like a compilation of training instead of having that overemphasis on that long run. And so I think it's just like a mind shift for a lot of people. Um, for other people, it's like they don't, it's not really like a time commitment thing, right? So it's not really like they don't want to put in the work um, during the week. It's just more they like don't really know because Again, if you're Googling plans like Hal Higdon, um, hate to throw him under the bus, like I'm sure he knows his stuff and he's just trying to help people, but um, you, you see a lot of these plans similar to his on Google um, where it's like they, they pull out this 20 miler. Um, so they're maybe having these athletes start at 20 miles per week and then I don't know, 10 weeks later, boom, a 20 mile long run. So that's crazy to me that you're going from, you know, only running 20 miles per week to then doing your total Mm -hmm. weekly mileage and one lot it's just it's that's intense it's a very intense way to train and some people maybe would get injured that way and so that's really what we're trying to do is to avoid people from falling in that trap of like getting injured while they're training um so a better idea is this back-to-back -back long run especially if um you know maybe your mileage is a little bit on the lower side so a lot of people will do the math and be like okay that means i have to run s about 60 miles per week if i want to hit a 20 mile long run and i'm like I mean, there's some wiggle room, right? Like if you're in the 50s, you can probably do it. But um, especially if it's like one time throughout the course of the training cycle. But, you know, if you are running 40 miles a week, it's like there might be, let's, let's see if we can maybe make some other adjustments and try to see if we can um, maybe do a little bit less because we don't want to put half of our um, training volume in one run. And so this back-to-back -back long run idea Actually, the first time I heard of it um, was when I was training for an ultra marathon. So I started to get um, interested in doing like ultra marathons in like 2013. Um, I didn't run one until 2014. I kind of was like a one and done situation. <laughs> it was only a 50K. Um, but at the time I was just very young and yeah, I just wanted to spend more time focusing on speed after that. But um, in researching a lot of this, you look at a lot of these ultra marathon plans and the bread and butter is like, obviously you have to learn how to fuel, duh. But the other thing is like, they're doing these back-to-back -back long runs. And so one thing that really always fascinated me is people who do like hundred mile ultra marathons. And I've coached a few people who have done like 50 and 100 milers. I, God only knows why, why they picked me as their coach. I mean, I've um, had experience doing coaching for it, but personally I've never um, ran one. And so they know that going into it, but uh, I've still prepared people for these races. Um, and I have friends that have done 100 milers and, and you have friends from college that have done 100 milers. And the thing that really fascinates me um, over the years, not only observing what these 100 mile people that I'm friends with do on Strava for their training, um, but also the, the research that I've done with the 100 mile ultras is that they're really never going more than like 30 miles at once in the 30s. And that amazes me because I'm like, how are you doing 100 miles? Um, and from what I'm told from them, I mean, sometimes they're doing a 50 mile um, trail ultra in the buildup for that 100 miler, obviously. Mm -hmm. But you know, on the day to day, like 
regular week, right, in training for this, they're maybe doing, like, I don't know, like, 15 on a Friday and, like, 24 right. on a Saturday. And I'm like, really? <laughs> like, re- really? Like, that's what's going to get you there? And I'm always amazed, like, when I see their, like, Strava upload of, like, this 100-miler. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's crazy. And I know that, like, obviously, like, the elites and people are really into it. They're probably doing a little bit more than that. But um, the, that seems to be, like, typical um, ultra training. And so when you try to uh, use some of those same principles and thinking, like, okay, maybe I don't need to go, you know, 70% of the race distance in a training run. Right. In order to finish the race. Um, and I know Long, he's one of my friends who's done several 100 milers. And he's done some of the photography and videography for Run for PRs. He basically says that, you know, if you can do 20, you can do a 50. And I'm like, what? Like, it, <laughs> to me, it just seems so preposterous. And he's like, oh, yeah, you could do it. You wouldn't even need to do anything different. He's like, if you're in marathon shape, you're in 50 miler shape. And I just, I, I have a hard time with that mentally, but I think it's a similar principle of us telling people like, yeah, you don't really need to go over 16 to do a marathon. <laughs> yeah. You know, a couple of key differences about like those ultra runners, especially when they get to that level where they're doing the hundreds is like, I feel like they don't have the same level of fear that most people would have when it comes to like their right. marathon. <laughs> So, like, they, it doesn't scare them. They've kind of been through some really hard stuff so that they've, maybe they've done a 50-miler, right? Or they've done a 100K or something like that um, in, like, the trails. And a lot of times they're running at night. And so, you know, they're, it's a little bit different, I think, that they, they know that they can get by off doing, you know, like you were saying, maybe it's, like, a 12-mile run uh, Friday and then they wake up and do, like, 20 on Saturday. And, like, that's, like, you know, one of their longer sessions or whatever. Um, and I just think that, you know, for them – that kind of gives them like the confidence that they need because um, for them it's more about just working on like that mental toughness piece and then making sure that they have their feelings squared away too right and so they can do that in those sessions those weekend sessions especially if they get up and run at like three in the morning and they're in the trails by themselves or whatnot and um, they're running in tough conditions or whatnot that are going to closely assimilate their race you know and so um, but for them you know that most of us that are running like marathons that you know we're not super experienced um, we, we feel like we need that like 17, 18, 19, 20 mile long run to give us that confidence, right? And I think that's what it's about for most people. Um, but I think if we can reframe, you used that word earlier and I really liked it. If you reframe the way you think about your training and you can get the confidence you need from those weekly, um, you know, workouts or just those, you know, midweek long runs, that is going to be just as beneficial to you, I think, because then you're more likely to listen to your body and not overdo it on the weekends. And then you're more likely to kind of just kind of stay, I think, positive and stay hungry for more as opposed to feeling like you're burnt out or, you know, tip, going over that tipping point. Yeah, I mean, it's really important to train as an individual, and I think that's, like, the mm-hmm. key here, right? So a lot of the times we pull up those Google plans, um, and we really have to think, like, where is this Where is this originating from? Where is this thought originating from? And if it's originating from, like, Bob, who ran the Boston Marathon in 1965, who ran um, 240, and, like, his buddy wanted to know, what did you do that day? I really want to know. And he literally, like, scribbled it down, and then that, like, got passed on through generations. Like, if that's <laughs> where your plan is coming from, we really need to like start questioning like, okay, like let's flip this whole thing on his head. I want to train what's going to be best for me, not Bob from 1965 who ran 240 at the Boston Marathon. Um, so that that being said, using that three-hour rule I think is a really good rule of thumb. Um, and some people might be panicking and be like, oh my gosh, three hours, I run 12-minute pace for my long run. Um, that's great. Well, you're still going to get to 15 miles if you do three hours, right? 
So 15 miles if you do three hours. And in that case, I mean, that's, that's great, right? So if we're going to do this back-to-back long run situation, what we would advise, what I advise people to do um, the night before, let's do like a 90 minute, 90 minute run, eat a good carbo low dinner, wake up the next morning. And so it's literally, you know, 12 to 18 hours later, um, not even a full 24. And you're going to go out and you're going to do that three hour long run. So you're working on running on tired legs. Your glycogen storages are a little bit depleted from the 90 minute run that you did the day before. Um, and obviously we're going to build up to that, right? So if you're someone who's running like every other day, we just need to get used to like doing a back to back day, right? right? So let's do, you get Thursday off, then we're going to do Friday, like 30 minutes, Saturday. I don't know what your long run is currently, but maybe we're doing like 75 minutes. Then we slowly build from there. And that's why it's really important to have a lot of time for training. And, you know, unfortunately we do see a lot of people who come to us eight weeks out from a marathon and they're like, I need help. And at that point, it's like, yes, we can help. Of course, we can always help no matter how far out you are. But it's really hard because we are limited on what we can do with your training in an eight-week time period, especially if we're asking for a three-week taper. That gives you five weeks to actually train. Um, and especially if, like, your longest run has been 13 or 12 miles, it's like, whoa. Like, we really don't have a lot to work with here. Um So I think getting started with training sooner rather than later. So if you have a fall race, um, especially if it's like your first marathon, maybe starting working with a coach, you know, six months out, five months out, instead of waiting until you're like three months out. If you're someone who has like this immaculate base, right? So you're running like 40 miles a week, 50 miles a week. You've done marathons, you've done ramp ups in four months and it's easy peasy for you you probably can get away with like a three or a two month um, training plan. But if you are not in that situation where you do need to either add workouts, increase your long run, um, increase your mileage, those sort of things, we're going to need a little bit more time to, to work on those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but the back-to-back long run is really interesting because you can start really small. And so it just starts with back-to-back running days. And then we build gradually over time. Um, and that is a really good option for getting used to running on fatigued legs with reduced glycogen storages and you're not getting that increased risk of running for four plus hours at a time. Yeah, and I think, you know, if you're a person that maybe you've done a marathon in the past or you maybe you've trained, you know, at a certain level and then you took a bunch of time off and you're coming back, I think tendency that a lot of people have is to want to, you know, jump, jump back in and do what they did the last time. But we have to factor in like how much time did you take off? How many weeks do we have to work with right now? Like you were saying, like um, get the most out of the time that we have. And then um, how how much did you train back for that race that you did? Maybe it was two years ago or five years ago or whatnot. And so, um, and then we kind of come up with a plan that's um, gonna be more appropriate for where you're at now. And that's not always following what you did before. It might be instead of doing, let's say you hit like an 18 and, and a 19 and a 16 or something. Maybe if we don't have a lot of time to work with, we might not even get to that level. And that's okay. I think you could get more effect out of um, doing back-to-back long runs and going to the race feeling, you know, just as confident, if not more prepared. And so I think it's really a mind shift and just kind of assessing where you're at now. Yeah, there's so many factors that go into this. And obviously it's individualized. But even if you're someone who's running like 10-minute pace, right? Um, If you're trying to hit a 20-mile long run and you're going 10-minute pace on your easy runs, so this means that your 5K PR is like in the 24 or 25, probably in the 25-minute range, Um, it's still going to take you about three and a half hours to complete that 20-mile long run. And to me, I don't really think that's worth it. 
Um, so maybe we're going to cap you at an 18 mile long run, which is still like amazing. I mean, I don't, yeah, 18 is great. It's further than I've ever had a training <laughs> run. Like three hours, that's, that's a long it, time. I mean, it yeah. is a really long time. And I think, yeah, you really got to look at at the time and, and stop focusing so much on the distance. And I know that's a really hard transition to make, especially if you're coming from like more of like a 5K, 10K um, half marathon training background. I feel like you can get away with doing more like mileage-based stuff when it's shorter distance. And especially like if you're from, you know, track, right? Everything was in... We're doing 400s, we're doing 800s. So it was all distance-based. But in reality, I think it's really interesting to think about, even those should be more time-based. Because, mm-hmm. Jason, if you were at the peak of your college doing, like, 400-meter repeats, like, what? how long was that taking think, you? Um, like 400 how, meters? How many seconds does it take like you? Like, 65. But 60 I think, seconds. Right. But the goal with that was that you know exactly where you're going to be stopping. And a lot of times as a runner, oh, you're not really looking at, like, your watch. You're just focusing on trying to run relaxed. And so... For the actual like track specific workouts, I think that it's fine to do it based on distance. Right. But our coaches would have us go and do warm ups and cool downs all the time. Time, time based. based. They yeah. would never focus on distance because obviously that was pre Garmin anyways. But um, yeah, it was always like go up for twenty minutes or whatnot. Um, well, what I do think interesting about the four hundred meters. So like you're, it takes you sixty five seconds to do that. When well, like I when you were like our right. average. That was like what we you were doing. Hit. Seventy yeah. seconds, right? Eighty seconds. Sixty. If you day. take yeah. someone who is more of like a twenty. 26 minute 5k and you're asking them to go about 5k pace it's going to be over two minutes for them right. so that's double the time right. and so that's where i think it's really interesting is that you know if you're prescribing the same workout for someone right. who's they're going to be out there so much longer <laughs> exactly yeah, it's, it it's so much sense. yeah exactly. and i guess you could do more reps right compared to you know like right a group maybe does eight to ten reps right and, and that's six, how you but, can modify yeah, yeah but i mean it's still it's still a really good point especially when you do have such a wide range of Yeah, because if you're going, gosh, I don't even know. Wouldn't it be if you're going 12 minute pace for 400s, it would be three? Yeah, it would be about three minutes. So, yeah, I mean, you really have to keep in mind the time of volume of what you're doing. So, if you're doing 10, or if you were doing like eight um, 400s, that's taking you eight minutes. (laughs) Whereas, like, if someone who's doing two minutes for a 400, they can only they do four of them right. and that's how long it, right. it's the same I don't know so these are all just things to like be thinking about not necessarily as an athlete because maybe that maybe if you're really into training right well, and so, I think about that when I'm making plans for people like yep. you know especially when exactly. I see if I if I prescribe like a three or let's say it's three by one mile four by one mile th- at threshold right Okay, for some people that run their threshold at 7.15 versus someone that's 11.15, right. I mean, I cannot have them do four by a mile. That's no. way too much. No. So it may be at three quarters of a mile or it may be a half mile. You know, and so just thinking about how can we make those adjustments, and that's why it's best not to always, you know, you know, do what other people are doing. Right, and that's why sometimes, like, you see, um, like, people who work with other coaches, right? So I have friends that, like, work with other coaching companies, and they'll do – everything's, like, time-based all the time. Everything's, like, okay, I did four-by-eight-minute tempo. And I'm, like, but you did, like, 7.30 pace. I mean, so so they're, like, doing it for everyone, right? So everyone's time-based. Um, I think when I'm coaching someone that's, like – maybe around like a certain pace range it's like I can really do it more based on distance easier in my head but then when it's right. like someone's who's out of my range like someone who's way faster or maybe like a little bit slower it can be like I, I like to go more based off of um of time because yeah like a lot of the workouts it's like we really need to modify um like the idea that I'm having in my head of like what I'm trying to get accomplished right if I'm trying to just get like 30 minutes of um tempo 
for right. someone who can do four by one mile at 7.30 pace, that's really clean, really easy um, in my head. But if you're trying to modify that across like all paces, right. it can start to get complicated. So that's why I think if you just left it at like three by 10 minutes mm-hmm. or four by, um, what would it be? <laughs> four by eight minutes, yeah. right? Something like that. Um, that's where it can be. Um, a good tool as well. So keeping those things in mind when you're using a training plan as well, I think is really important. Um, anytime you're getting a training plan off of line, um, keep in mind that's for like a variety of paces. And so you want to make sure you're not like overdoing the volume, especially if it is more of like a distance based thing. Um, even for like an easy run, right? I think most weekday easy runs shouldn't be much. I mean, it depends on like your mileage, right? But if you're someone who's running like 40 mm-hmm. miles a week, we don't really need to be going much more than like an hour um, for easy runs. And then if, if you're prescribing like a seven mile run, that can be totally different in terms of time for someone who's averaging 830 miles versus someone who's running like 1230 miles. So keeping those things in mind for all of your days is um, important. And so I know this conversation has kind of moved more to like time-based <laughs> running, But I think it's really important because that's kind of like the principle behind all of this, right? Doing this back-to-back long runs and running more based off of time. Um, And then that also brings up the point of we need to keep these long runs at an easy pace. Mm -hmm. And I think doing more time-based allows for you to run um, based on how you're feeling rather than, okay, um, I know I need to squeeze in 18 miles, so I'm right. going to run as fast as I can. Or people will often try to run their 18-mile mile or 20-mile at a certain pace. Yep. And they think they want to hit that pace going into the run because they think that's what they need to do in order to give them that confidence to be able to handle the marathon, right? And so I think we got to shift away from that. It's not all about those longest runs. Um, I think I would, I would be a lot more confident running 15 miles with a fair amount of that at like marathon effort as opposed to running like a 20 mile easy run. I just would feel more confident and prepared for my race. Um, and I'd probably, I'd probably recover about the same on that. And so honestly, it's, it's more about, yeah, how you, how you look at your training and don't, you know, don't try to push and stress on the pace for these long runs. I think that that goes hand in hand for a lot of people. They try to run them way too fast, especially these group runs we used to go to. It just used to be like people would go out and they try to run like, within like 20 to 30 seconds of the marathon pace for the duration of the run. And that became like like a tempo effort. I mean, it felt hard. And so I think you just gotta be really careful and cognizant of, of your paces. Yeah, I mean, moral of the story, I've definitely been there. I've done it, right? Like you do these long runs in training and you just hammer it and you're, it's not even like really hammering it. You just like gray zone it. Right. And you're like, oh my gosh, I ran this pace for my long run. And it can be, like, really gratifying, I guess, mentally in that moment. It's, like, that short-term gratification where you're, like, wow, if I did this for my 18-miler, I wonder what I'm going to run on a race day. And it's, like, that's not going to be a really good indicator for you. A better indicator is doing some races in your build-up, doing some workouts, right? So doing, like, specific (laughs) workouts. So instead of running in the gray zone – which uh, is really too fast to be considered easy. So you're just kind of spinning your wheels and it's too, it's actually too slow to actually give you any sort of physiological benefits in terms of like lowering your threshold. So it's really like a pointless pace. Um, It would be better for you to do like tempo runs during the week. It'd be better for you to do more specific, um, you know, like tempo runs 
within a long run, right? If you're going to do some tempo sections. So I've definitely been there, done that. Um, and actually for, you know, my first marathon, I, I did that for all my long runs. I want to see basically how fast I could, how fast I could mm -hmm. run. Um, that was kind of the goal. Like if I could run a certain pace for, you know, my long run, then geez, right. I hope I could do it on marathon race day, maybe a little, uh, a little slower, you know, but I was like, Hey, you know, if I try to run 845 pace for nine minute pace, just under nine minute pace, I should be able to break four. That was kind of like my logic. Um, definitely did not happen. I ran like 408 or something. Yeah. 408, almost 409. Um, fast forward this last time I was training, um, for a marathon, mm -hmm. I did a lot of my long runs at like I ran with my friend who was like pregnant and so I was like let's just go let's just go like as slow as we can go like it, that was really the competition mm -hmm. of like how slow can I run and I did all my long runs pretty much slower than what I did training for that first marathon where I ran 408 so logic would tell you well you know you didn't really push it you're not really in good shape but that's the thing is I was doing workouts during the week so I was doing like tempo workouts I was in really good shape I knew that so I didn't find the need to on my long runs like prove anything to myself I was like whatever you know you're doing workouts during the week so ran Boston Marathon much harder course than that first marathon I did but it's like I ran 311 so it's like you know you run a, an hour faster but you can do the same long run so uh, try not to prove things to yourself on that long run day because really what you're doing is you're just making it harder for yourself to recover and what I can remember from that first marathon that I did man, it took me so long to recover. I did one 18 mile long run. I had basically like run walk the last mile and I was like destroyed. I, I couldn't even, I couldn't, you gotta like, I had to like tell you, oh, my knee hurt. Like I couldn't do anything for like five days. And I just thought that was like part of training. And that's, mm -hmm. that's definitely not part of marathon training at all. And I know sometimes that can be what you get on the internet. People will be like, yeah, that's normal. No, that's, I mean, it happens, I guess, but typically that's a sign like something is askew. And so for me, it was, I didn't have, I, I, was, I was a tax accountant at the time. So like I wasn't training during the week. It's like I was putting all my mileage on like this one day where I could go outside. So definitely made that mistake during that process. And then I was also hammering my long run. So it's like I, I speak from personal experience when I tell a lot of these stories. Um, and definitely I've learned the hard way. And so my goal of sharing this with you guys is so that you don't have to, you know, learn the hard way. Cause it can be really frustrating when like you think you're doing everything right. Or like you think you're training really hard, um, only to be let down on race day. And I know that first marathon was like a pretty, pretty terrible experience for me mentally. Um, so if anyone can take anything away from this, it's definitely don't try to prove anything to yourself on those long runs. Use them as just time on your feet, easy mileage. Um, and you are actually building so many aerobic benefits from that. Yeah. And just to add to that, you know, I've had a lot of phone calls over the years with athletes and a lot of times they'll mention like their pace that they hold on a long run. And nine times out of 10, that's a sign that they're running them too fast because think about it. If you're someone that's running your long runs really easy, chances are you're going to be talking about you have the paces that you maybe did for workouts or your race yep. pace and you're not going to worry so much about like the long run pace because um and so that that's just something too to think about and i i know a lot of people um you know it took us a few years to like get away from that concept of running of slowing down on those long runs and it does it takes time it takes probably getting experience with doing workouts with running you know negative splits and with doing races um and that's really what is going to be the driving factor in getting your confidence to go up for these races. It's not going to be that single um, long run that you have every Saturday or Sunday. Well, it's going to be the training as a whole and then your, your history, your racing history, all those like things that you're getting um, to help build your confidence.
Right. Yeah, and I think that's a really common thing for runners just in general. Like, they'll be like, yeah, I usually run out of all, like, eight-minute pace. And I'm like, what, like, on your easy days? Like, <laughs> what? Or what What are we talking here when you all say you run? But- yeah. And so I find that, like, strange. So I think if if you're able to and you and you want to reach your potential, right? Some people are just out there, they, they just like to run. So, like, I'm not trying to, like, say, like, oh, you shouldn't do that. It's if you're trying to, like, reach this next level right. and you're, like, frustrated and you're like, well... I really want to qualify for Boston. Well, we have to make sure your training is in alignment with what your goal is. And if you aren't seeing results and you're getting frustrated like I have been in the past, it's like maybe we should apply some of the principles, see if we can like, you know, get to your body to start making those adaptations again. And part of that is we got to slow down on the easy days so that we can really hyper focus on those weekday workouts. Um, so instead of, you know, being like, yeah, I run eight minute pace around all my runs, you could say, you know, on my workout days, you know, I'm hitting like sub sevens for a couple things on my easy days, I go like 10 minute pace. So that's just kind of a new way that you can look at things. I'm sure a lot of you guys have listened to our podcast. So you, you already know some of those things, but it's definitely, um, just ways that you can tweak your training to try to reach your potential. Because I know for a lot of people, you know, that goal is like that, that BQ, that Boston qualify. And I'm not saying like that's everyone's goal, but I hear it a lot. And so if you really want to either reach your potential or do those sort of things, sometimes you do have to make some sort of tweaks to your training. And even now, um, it's like, I want to reach the next level and I'm, I'm always thinking like, what are the tweaks I need to make to my training? And you know, you really have to be honest with yourself and be like, yeah, you know, maybe you do need to go slower in your easy days. Maybe I do need to push it a little bit more on some of these workouts and stop like getting in my comfort zone, you know, stop, stop trying to, you know, make excuses and stuff like that. We all have things that we can work on for sure. Um, but I think that's why working with a coach and having that outside accountability can be huge. And so I always have a coach here on for PRs, like looking at my training and giving me feedback just because I love getting that feedback because it's that outside accountability. So it's like, I might know kind of have a good idea of what I'm doing. I'm sure a lot of you guys who listen to our podcast, you have a pretty good idea of what you should be doing. Um, especially if you're taking a lot of the stuff that we're doing and you're applying it to your own training. But sometimes it's like having that outside opinion and someone just like telling you a little bit extra. At least for me, it's been a game changer because you have that accountability. You have someone that also knows what your goals are and they're helping you to become a better version of you and challenging you in ways that maybe you're just so stuck in that comfort zone and you really don't want to be challenged in that way. Um, and that's why I love having uh, Run for PR's coach definitely guiding my training. So if that's something you're interested in, we always do a free seven-day trial. So you can fill out the form at our website at www.runforprs.com and fill out the form for a free seven-day coaching trial to see what it's all about. No strings attached. Again, that's www.runforprs.com. Thanks for tuning in.